0: I am so excited this morning because we have a special guest speaker. I love her so much and it is her birthday.
1: So Carmen is gonna help me. Carmen, would you come up? Because us ladies, we have so much, we're exploding with love this morning and we have a little surprise for our pastor, Pastor Terry. (laughs) Would you stand with me while we give her a round of applause? And if you're watching online, would you please just shout out those birthday emojis? (laughs) Pastor Terry, um, this morning you are giving a message of love and we want to tell you how very much you are loved by the Lord and by every one of us that you have poured into and mothered and been on the journey with. We love you immensely. Happy birthday. Thank you so much, Brian. Oh, we're connected. (laughs) Thank you, can, Brianna, Can you take this yes, with you? I that. <laughs> wow, that's you know, who? Not a good way to get started. Sit down. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for the birthday wishes. We have just had our yearly women's retreat. How many ladies? How many ladies here went? Come on! Come on! So we had an awesome time connecting with um, one another and talking and laughing and all of those things, but we also, you know, we dug deep and pulled up some stuff and, and really sought the Lord to inner heal us in areas in our life that have been broken for a very long time. And... So sometimes when we start bringing stuff up, we can feel like, I mean, I don't know about you ladies, but as stuff started coming up, did you think, I'm a mess? (laughs) Like, I'm really a mess. You know, we don't realize how much stuff, baggage that we have been carrying around that we need God to come in and heal and restore in us. So today, I just felt like I really wanted to concentrate on God's love. That Because we can, like, let that stuff make us feel bad about ourselves, feel condemnation and all those kinds of things. And I want to speak into you this morning how immeasurably God loves you and what the face of God looks like and what it wants to look like in you. See, we have, um, I think this is in your notes, it's one of the most important things you can remember about this morning is this. That the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. The most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. Because we tend to move towards the mental image of that picture. So it might be something that we've learned. It might be something we've heard or experienced. But there has been a created image in our mind of of who we think that God is. So, uh, if you've made poor choices, if you think something's not going well in your life, if something falls apart, uh, whatever your face of God is, that's what you're going to go to. That's what you're going to turn to. So, one of the images that we can have of who God is is that He is a scorekeeper. He's up there just keeping score. Like, you cussed out that driver who cut in front of you, you lose 10 points. Like, you are not a good Christian. Well, I went to church. Like, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. That ought to at least give me five points. And we think God is up there, like, with the scale. You did good, you did bad, and he's weighing it all out, whether you're good enough or whether you are not good enough. Um, You might think that God is all about the do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And he is just up there keeping score of all the bad things that you have done. And what happens is that we're always trying harder and harder and harder, like, to make it to heaven. (laughs) Like, we just got to do more good things. We got to, man, I got to quit doing that. Got to quit, you know, judging people so much because, like, I'm losing points for that. And we, we're waning we're it. We just always are feeling like that we're coming up short in the eyes of God. And that might come from because our earthly father or our circumstance or, or situations in our life, we were not given unconditional love. There were conditions. In other words, if you behave like this and you do this, then I'll love you. Like, you have my love. Come here. I'm going to give you a hug. And if you don't live up to my expectation, you don't do what I think is right, then back off. No, you, you can't come receive love from me until you get your stuff together, until you do it right, Till you do it like I say that you need to do it. That kind of upbringing gives us the face of God of a scorekeeper that he's like that. His lo- God's love is conditional. It's conditional based on whether you are good or are you bad. It's conditionally based on whether you make good choices or bad choices. Um, we might see God as a faraway, unapproachable God. That may be the face that you have learned to see. Um, you may think, yeah, he's a f- there's a power out there. There's a force out there, Like, I'm good with that. I believe that God created, but intimate, where I can hear his voice, where I know him, no. No, I don't know. I I don't think he really hears me. And what does that come out of when you have really cried out to God, when you have asked him to answer a prayer, when an abuse was happening and you cried out to God to save you, and he did not come and save you, he did not rescue you, he did not heal when you wanted him to heal, he did not answer your prayer where you wanted him to answer. And you think, he doesn't have the power. He's like out there, but he's not interested in my life. It's not intimate. It's not a personal relationship with me, and so our view, our face of God, is unapproachable. Maybe you grew up in a church that was all about hellfire, brimstone. Always oh, going to hell. You're going to go to hell if you misbehave. You're going to go to hell if you don't do that, do that right. And we see God as an angry God. He's just mad. You know, just looking for you to mess up and to blow it, and he wants to just send you to hell. And so we have that face of God. Um, I don't know why, but this came to my mind when I was thinking about this. In our house, I have a teenager in my house. So all the teenage boys at church, they're all at my house all the time. And um, so we have a fly shooter. Anybody have one of those in their house? So it's a salt gun. It's a big salt gun. And you fill it with salt, and, and then you shoot flies with it. So it's a big deal in our house. And so if a fly gets in, like the boys will run for the salt gun. And they're like so excited. No, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to kill the fly. And they run around, you know, looking for the fly. Where is he? Where is he? Watch out, watch out. In first service, Logan was sitting down here, and he goes, yeah, I've been shot a few times. (laughs) So we kind of feel like God's up there with the salt gun going, come on, just do it. One bad move, and you're dead. I'm going to smash you, you know. And we think we have like that face of God, that he's dealing out and doling out punishments all the time. We also can have the opinion that God is our personal concierge. Like, yeah, God, you know, I'm a little late to work. I could really use about three green lights. Can you handle that for me? (laughs) An up front parking space would be awesome because I'm not really feeling like walking today. And so, you know, we like, we, God is just our personal little concierge, you know, when we need something, come on, God, you know, I need this or that. And, and we, we even look at our time spent with him, like, you know, well, I don't think I have any phone calls to make. I I think I can squeeze you in, God, for just a couple minutes for my little morning devotional, you know, but the minute something else gets in the way, I'm sorry, God, you know, I'm going to have to set that aside. Maybe tomorrow I'll catch you and so he's just there for our personal whims our our personal usage to just kind of take care of us answer our prayers meet our needs bless us oh god pour out your blessings give me peace love on me god and we want him to do all those things and yes god does all those things to us but we leave out things like forgiveness and repentance and obedience we don't want to hear those things from god that does not fit into our picture our picture is just just whatever i need god you just be there you be there for me and you know um answer my prayer and so We treat God like that. And I honestly, when I think of this picture of God, I think of a spoiled brat. You know, it's all about me, what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And, you know, you better just be there to to do that or I'm going to get mad and stomp my feet. You know, if you don't, like, buck up and do what I'm asking you to do. Um, If um, you have had a controlling father, earthly father, you may see God as controlling you may see him as that, trying to tell you what to do, what not to do. And we see God sometimes as that. He's just up there saying, like, he's all about don't do this and don't do that. He just wants to control. God just wants to control what I'm doing. And, and this, when we have that view of God, we have the tendency to do this. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do what I want. You know, if you've been, like, controlled And you want to get out from under that control, it is, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to do it when I want, I'm going to do it how I want, and I'm going to do what I want. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. And we treat God that way. We think that he's just like that. That's his face to us. And so when God prompts us, maybe corrects us a little, maybe just... Uh, you know, we get that little impression we need to do something a little bit, take a little bit different direction, and that something rises up in us, uh-uh. That's not what I want to do, and I'm not doing it. And, and we just kind of put our feet down and say no to God. I'm going to decide. So this is the problem when things go sideways in our life. We might have a crisis, an unexpected event that throws us, and we weren't prepared for it. Immediately, we go to whatever face that is. Are you all kind of identifying what your face is a little bit? The, the face you see. We go to that. We go to the God that we have created for ourselves. And so what happens is, if it's the wrong image, if it's the wrong face of God, we think maybe he's angry, so what do we do? We run. We run. He's angry with me. I got to run. I got to get out of here. I got to hide from him. If we don't want to be rejected by him, then we isolate because we think he's mad at us. We think we disappointed him. So we got to run. We got to get away. We got to. Um, oftentimes, the people that are going through that have that face of God, they'll disappear. We won't see them at church, and they won't accept phone calls because they're hunkered down. They're isolated because they feel like that they, their face of God is. God is disappointed in me. I have done something to disappoint him, and I can't get back from that. So run and hide because that's the face of God that they see. Um, it, it, we, we can not want, even want his input. We can, be a, we can be, just think, well, um, I don't think he has the power to do anything to change my situation, so therefore, oh, well, you know, he's not there for me, so who cares? know and we're just kind of you know just like whatever about god because we don't think he is powerful enough to come into our situation so here we're in a crisis and we need to be depending on god's love we need His strength we need all those things that are are in his character and we don't seek out that because the face of god that we have is powerless he doesn't have the power and we can think that um You know, in abuse situations, if we've been abused and we cried out to God and we prayed for God to come deliver us, and he did not show up and do that, we think God just doesn't have the power. He did not answer my prayer. He did not come save me. He did not deliver me from that. So he is powerless to me. And so we don't call out to him in crisis. We go right to that face. God doesn't have the power to meet my need and where I'm at. Just recently in our growth group study that we're doing, the author is Christine Kane. She said a story in it that I want to share with you um, that I thought was just so good because this is a person who has a correct face, a correct image of who God is and had something happen in her life that knocked her for a loop. It's like she did not see it coming. It was unexpected, and she handled it the way that you would if you have a correct image a correct face of who God is so she is now an adult she has her own children that are in their older grade school early teens she has her own family and she went to visit her mom and it was really by accident that it came out but it was she discovered that she all along had been adopted and i want you to think about you Like, what if right now today you were told you were adopted? Would that derail you? Would that make you angry? What would your reaction be? Would you be mad at your birth, your adopted mom, that your adopted mom kept kept that from you, kept that secret from you, didn't tell you? Would you walk away from her angry and mad and say, I don't want anything to do with you. You lied to me. Would you be angry at God? Would you doubt who you are? Would, you, would it affect your self-esteem and your self-image? Would you think, I don't know who I am. I don't even know who I am. I like, felt like I've lived a, a lie my whole life. All of those emotions and feelings will come up, right? If you've been smacked in the face with that, had absolutely no idea. I want to read to you her response. Because if you have any one of those wrong images of faces of God, that's exactly where you would go to. Anger, resentment, isolation. This is what Christine Kane did. She said said this, and I'm not talking a week later, a month later, like I need a couple months to process this and then I'll get back to you, Mom. Immediately, when she was given the news, this is what she said. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, and then she said this, "Whoseever womb that was, God knew me. He knit together my innermost parts, and he fashioned all my days before there were any one of them. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even though I have only just found out that I was adopted, God has always known, and he has always loved me. I may not be who I thought I was, but I am who he says I am. And I am loved, and I am his. Wow. You see, you know why she knew that? Because she knew God's word. She had a correct image of who God is. So she didn't go to another image, another face. Immediately when she was thrown, she went to the correct face of God, which she got out of the word of God which all of this is exactly what the Word of God says. He knew you before you were even formed. And as you were being formed, He was in creating you. He was creating you with gifts, talents, and ability. He knew you. He knew you by name. Our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. So who is He? Who is our Father? If you want to change your life, if you want to change your circumstances, then change the way you see God. If you want to change your life, and you want to change your circumstances, change the way that you see God. Who is he? He's our father. He's our father. He... Um, I think this is interesting that in just the first four Gospels of the New Testament, 180 times he's referred to as God the Father. 189 times in the first four chapters of the New Testament. He's referred to as God the Father. When he taught us how to pray, he said, you say this, our what? Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. You see, he's not like your earthly father. Even if you have the best earthly father. Some of you maybe, you think, well, my father was fantastic. I have no issues. I had a great father. Your father in heaven is greater than that. He is greater than that. He is not even close to the same as your perfect version of an earthly father. He's not even close not even close to that he is hallowed which is perfect he's perfect Um, he is a wonderful loving giving father he is sacred he doesn't make mistakes he doesn't judge he does not withhold offense he does not withhold and distance and not be affectionate, and affectionate. He does not withhold love. He is Abba Father. The definition of Abba Father is intimate, close relationship. And the scripture refers to him as Abba Father. He wants to not just be a far-off entity that has power to create. He wants to be Abba Father to you which is close, which is intimate, and and an awful lot of us have not had that in our earthly father. We haven't had that intimacy and closeness, but, but Father God, your heavenly father, wants to have that kind of relationship with you. He is patient. He is kind. He's teacher. He's comforter. He guides us and he leads us through rough waters. That's just a little bit of who he is. I want us to watch this video and get just another glimpse of all the ways that god is to us
0: the bible says my king is the king of the jews he's the king of israel he's the king of righteousness he's the king of the ages he's the king of heaven he sympathizes and he saves he strengthens and sustains he guards and he guides he heals the sick he cleans the lepers he forgives sinners he discharges debtors he delivers the captive he defends the feeble he blesses the young he serves the unfortunate Couldn't kill him, death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, yeah. That's Marky. That
1: marking. is who my heavenly Father is. Second Corinthians six eighteen says, "I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters," says the Lord almighty he sees you as sons and daughters so let's go on to point three which is if he loves me then where was he when what's that fill-in for you if he really loved me then where was he you may have experienced Abuse, physical, mental, maybe an injustice, maybe a death, an illness that God did not heal. Maybe the loss of a job or finances. Maybe you've lost a home or a spouse has betrayed you. Maybe you have experienced an abandonment and you're wanting to know where was God in all of that. Why didn't he protect? Why didn't he heal? Why didn't he show up? And I'm going to tell you I don't have all the answers to that. But this I know that we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we are often affected by other people's sin. We're not robots. God doesn't just lead us around like puppets on a string. And so often other people's sin bleeds over in us. And I also know this, that God never promised everything would be perfect perfect and wonderful, rainbows and sparkles and unicorns. It's just nowhere in God's Word. He just doesn't say that you're not going to have any problems. As a matter of fact, he says just the opposite, and I want to read 1 Peter 1.6 to you. It says this. You may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, but in the end, Christ will be revealed. He is coming back to you, and your treasures are being kept for you in heaven. I love this passage because i know it says we're going to face all kinds of trials we're going to be hurt we're going to feel sorrow we're going to feel grief we're going to feel sadness we're going to feel anxious we're going to have all of those emotions and things are going when things happen to us but he says this isn't your home we're not camping out here forever this is we're just passing through because I, he says, I am going to return. Just hang in there a little longer. That's what he's saying to us. Just hang in there. I know it's tough. I know it's rough. I know it's painful. Just hang in there because you're just passing through. I am coming back. And when you, when you get to heaven, I have treasures beyond measure waiting for you. Because you have stuck it out. Because you have persevered in your trial, in your tribulation, in your struggle. You have persevered. So I am going to reward you plentifully when you get to heaven. So he says to you, hang on, just hang on a little bit longer. I'm coming back. Have you not all just really loved Pastor Randy's messages on end times the past few weeks? Are we not getting a sense that it's close? It's getting so close. And I am not fearful about all the darkness that I see in the world right now. I am hopeful. I am excited. I am looking up because he is coming back for me. And I am his child. He's going to keep me in the shadow of his wing until that day. And for my suffering and for my pain, there are treasures that he has for me. Deuteronomy says, don't be afraid because I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Yeah, we're going to have stuff happen, but he says, I am there. If you will call on me, I am there for you, and I am not going to leave you alone in your situation, in your circumstance. I am not going to abandon you. You had earthly fathers that have abandoned you and walked away when life got a little rough? Your heavenly father says, I won't do that. I won't run away. I won't abandon you. So we need to run our life experiences through the light of who God really is. And we find that in his word. And we need to get his perspective to experience who he is in our situation because his eyes, the way he sees it, his perspective is very different from ours. So we got to get into the word of God and figure out what his perspective is. It is in that, that his character will be revealed to us, and we will feel wrapped in his love. Four pastors of a large mega church gathered around my three-day-old daughter and prayed for her to be healed. Four pastors. She passed away 30 minutes later. People in the church said this, that I lacked faith to believe for her healing, and that's why she passed away. So I wonder, does that sound like the character of God? Does that sound like who God is? I didn't know, so I thought, well, I'm going to get into God's word, and I'm going to see. Did I not have enough faith? Was it my fault? Did I not trust God enough? Did I lack the faith? And this is what I found, that God said you only need the faith the size of a mustard seed. So then I had to ask myself this. What then would be said that there were four pastors that were gathered around my daughter? Of the four pastors, my husband and I, was there not at least the size of a mustard seed, amount of Faith, that could... Restore and heal my daughter? So then why? I don't know. But I do know that it wasn't because of a lack of my faith. It wasn't because of that. Because I checked. I checked to see the character of who God is. But this, that, this I do know. That in that moment when my heart hurt so much... I mean, I literally physically felt like my heart was just cracking and breaking in two. Physically, my chest hurt. And I was sitting in my living room all by myself, and I called out to God and I said, God, I just need you to come be my comforter. Just come and touch my heart that hurts. Just do that. Just do that, God. And Instantly, in that moment, the pressure just lifted from me. The pain, the ache that I felt in my chest, it lifted, and I physically felt the arms of God wrap around me. I felt it. He he didn't restore or heal my daughter, but he came to me when I called out to him, and he wrapped his arms around me and loved on me through my hurt and through my pain. This I also know that I would not have my daughter, Brittany, Would not have had my daughter, Brittany, if Veronica had been restored. I also know this that the world, the world needs Brittany because she's a world changer. And I also know this that I will one day be reunited with her. She had a beautiful life. She had a beautiful life. Her whole life was in the arms of Jesus. Her whole life. She lived a beautiful life. And I will be re- reunited with her. It has made a way for Brittany to be a world changer. A wor- Did it happen because of that? I don't know. I don't have the answers. Family said to me, I must have some deep hidden sin that I'm being punished for. So i thought "Hmm, wow so i just kind of went to my quiet place and i thought man do i have something that i just didn't even realize that i had just really ask god show me do i do i have some sort of sin does that line up with what is what with who you are your character so i looked and this is what i found that all my sin has been forgiven because I asked him to. I have always been really faithful every day to go before God and say search me, search my heart. If there's anything that is unpleasing to you, please bring it to my attention so I can make it right. And I've always lived my life to be very quick. If I needed to forgive to forgive, if I needed to ask for forgiveness to ask for forgiveness, because I have never wanted anything to hinder my relationship with God, my Father. I I've always wanted it to be intimate. So I've always been really quick to pray that prayer and to do that. So what does God say about that? Well, you know, he says he throws my sin into the deepest ocean never to be remembered again, so he can't dig it up. He can't go back and dig stuff up and say, I'm now going to punish you for this. If I look at his traits, I see a loving, forgiving God. Full of grace and mercy, I see a compassionate God. Um, I see—I don't see a vengeful, angry God that keeps an account. I don't see any of that. I—I I just see forgiveness. So that couldn't be it. Our senior pastor. This was actually the day of, um, uh, the day after she had passed away. We went. Randy and I went to sit into the pastor's office to plan the funeral. And obviously, I'm crying. And um, he said, Terry, you need to stop that right now. You need to stop that right now. No more of that. No more of that because you can always have more children. So you you don't need to be sad about this. And there were a few people in the church that said that to me as days went on. Is that the truth? Is that God's character? Do I have to stuff? Do I have to, like put on a brave face and pretend like nothing has happened, pretend like I'm not hurting, not show emotion? Is that the character of God? Does that sound right? I looked. I looked. And this is what I saw, that there is a time to grieve. He says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear, I will bring you comfort. So there has to be some grief in there, a sadness if he's going to come be my comforter. Jesus himself grieved. He cried so hard in the garden that he broke capillaries. And by the way, his grief wasn't about his impending dying on the cross. He was crying and grieving over the separation between him and the father, him and his father. He knew in that moment when he took on your sin, my sin, in that moment when that was going to happen, that the father was going to have to turn away in that moment. He he was grieving that, the loss of connection and intimacy with his father. And he wept, he wept, he wept. Psalms 31 says this, "O Lord, this is David. It says, oh, Lord, help me again. Keep showing me mercy, for I am in anguish and always in tears. I am worn out with my weeping. I'm becoming old because of my grief. My health is broken. I'm exhausted. My life is spent with sorrow. My years with sighing and sadness. And because of all these troubles, I now have no more strength. My inner being is weak and it's frail. So he's describing like this emotional turmoil that he's in. And pain and hurt. Exhaustion from weeping. Then he says this, though. He says, well, I spoke a little hastily when I said, Lord, you have deserted me. For in truth, you did hear my prayer, and you came to my rescue. Listen to me, all you godly ones. Love the Lord with passion, because the Lord protects, and he preserves all those who are loyal to him. So cheer up and take courage, all of you who love him. Wait for him to break through for you, all who trust him. Grieve, cry, work through it. Let God then come be your comforter, and you'll restore and heal. I wonder if you really noticed the, um, the thread of my story, that I did, not, I did not take what everybody said to me and, and take that on myself and believe it. If I'd done that, I would be a puddle, just nothing. I'd feel like I was worthless, full of sin, doubt. God doesn't love me, care about me, took my daughter from me. If I had listened to all that, I would have never healed because I didn't have permission to do that, right? So the threat is this, what did I do? everything that i heard i took it and i ran it through the light of what was in god's word who is god who is he saying about my circumstance and situation i corrected the face and the image of god in my life to line up with who he really is i I took this off a post of someone um, a speaker that i um follow and she said I, i just love this She's talking about the image of God, and she said, and, and when you go through really rough times, and she said this, your life is not a game to God. Your life is not a game. He's not up there just playing and messing with you just to see how you can, you know, how much you can handle. It's not a game to Him. You are a treasure to Him. He weeps with you. When the fallen are broken in the world and it's had its way with its children, when, when other people's sin has come in and it affected you, he weeps with you. He weeps with you. He wants to comfort. He wants to minister. He wants to sit with and he wants to speak life into you in those situations. In the midst of heartache. He protects and he guards and he restores when harm has come to you. He does this so that you will know that you can fully depend on him. He will be there for you when you call on him to give you what you need. We will get through our difficulties. We will get through our pain. We will get through our trauma when we have the correct image and face of God. But this is what we have to We have to quit listening to the lies of the enemy because what, what, what does he say? He says things like what those people said to me. God doesn't love you. God's not there for you. He doesn't hear you. Those are the lies that we hear in our head. Have you heard those lies swimming around in your head? We have to know that we have to be able to learn to discern the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. We have to learn to discern and know that the things that we are hearing are either truth or they are a lie. And then make the correction. That's a lie. I refuse that. I reject that. I am only going to receive the truth of what is in God's word. That's how we know what the truth is. Look in God's word. See if it lines up in God's word. Run it by his character. Run it by who he is and what he has done. Ask yourself those questions. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like who he is? Does that sound like what he would do? And then find out in God's word what it is. Point four, how can he love me? We all have a past. We all have done things that we are not proud of. But some of you believe that what you have done is worse than others and that God can't possibly forgive you. Maybe you've been promiscuous, unfaithful to your spouse, divorced a few times. Verbally abusive, physically abusive. Maybe you've been abused and you believed it was your fault. Maybe you feel shame about what has happened to you. Maybe you've abused alcohol, drugs, cheated, stole, lashed out, hurt people, judged them. Any, any of those things and you feel shame and you feel condemnation because of that. Uh, again, we're going to look up and say, well, does that line up with God's word? Are, are we always to live under condemnation and shame? So in Romans, we're looking at Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for so many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. I'm going to talk about this passage for a minute. He's talking about the one sin was Adam. One sin caused all this chaos and junk that we have to deal with. Hurt, pain, disappointment, loss. One man's sin, Adam. It's caused all of that. And then Jesus came and he died on the cross. One man came. One man came. Don't you just love when you have to, your phone goes dark and you have to go back. One man came to make it all right. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners so also, one man's obedience—his obedience to come and die on the cross for us—has now made it perfectly right with God and acceptable to Him. So He says, "I've made, I've wiped the slate clean. If you'll ask me, if you'll ask me, the slate is wiped clean. You're forgiven. We are not to walk under shame. We are not to walk under condemnation. And I, I'm going to read now in Romans." Um, This is my favorite. This is my favorite. It starts, this verse 8 starts with this. It says, so now the case is closed. There's no like little doorway, no little nook, no little crack to get under. The case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. There is no condemnation. No condemnation lie the enemy's accusing voice that says you're not good enough what you did was terrible it was awful you can never be forgiven for that the case is closed you have forever been forgiven you do not need to walk in shame you do not need to walk in in unforgiveness and condemnation he died on the cross so that you have forgiveness so that you can walk in the mercy and under the grace of God Amen? Amen? I really love the story about the woman in the well. Because Jesus was deliberate about seeking her out. By that time in his ministry, crowds, thousands, were like gathering on mountainsides to hear him speak. He, people were getting healed right and left. Lepers were walking. Blind people were seeing. People were being raised from the dead. All of these miraculous things, people were hearing about it, they were flocking to see him, gathering. And he sets out to find this one woman. She lived in a town that Jesus was not welcome in because Jesus was Jewish. This was a Gentile town. She he wasn't even welcome in that place. And the disciples said, Why do you want to go there? They don't like you. And he said, I'm going. You guys go on ahead you go on your journey but i am going this way he was intentional about seeking her out now this woman her thing was she liked sleeping with other people's husbands and and that was her thing that she did and so jesus finds her and he doesn't yell at her he doesn't condemn her he doesn't shake his finger at her and say you're bad and you're doing wrong things and, and you're going to go to hell because of all of your sin, he does none of that. He just loves her. And he tells her what a beautiful life that she can have if she'll believe in him. He pours mercy and grace and kindness and love on her. Sought her out, poured grace. Mercy and love on her. And he said, if you just believe in me, your life can change forever. And he says this one last thing. Just go and sin no more. Just don't go do that anymore because God has a way better life for you. He's got something new for you. And he sent her on her way, filled with God's forgiveness, filled with love. The case is closed. The case is closed. So today, he seeks after you deliberately. He seeks after you deliberately. He's coming after you deliberately. And he wants to offer you the same thing, grace, mercy, forgiveness. So I just want to pause right here. I feel like this is just a moment for those that might be watching online, maybe any of you. We're just going to stand. We're just going to pray for just a minute before we move on. I, I'm just going to ask that we raise our hands because it is a posture. To raise our hand is a posture of um, surrender, and it's also a posture of humility. And so let's just take that posture as we go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you are our heavenly father. You don't look like our earthly father. Father. You are perfect. You don't don't make wrong decisions. You're perfect. And what you offer us is mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And so right now, Father, for the things that I have done that I have not already come to you for the sin, that I have not repented for, I do that now. If that is you, just, just take a second and do that. What is that? Now, I thank you, God, that you have now thrown that into the deepest ocean, never to be remembered again. You're never going to bring it up again. You're never going to throw it in our face. It's gone. The case is closed. And now we receive your mercy. We receive your grace. We receive your forgiveness. And we receive your unconditional, no-strings-attached love. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So how do I know that God really loves me? How do I know? Well, I have to go and run it by the light of what is in God's word. John 16, 27 says the Father tenderly loves you. First Peter says pour out all your worries and your stress on him. Leave them there because he tenderly cares for you. I love that word, tenderly, because he's not brash, he's not harsh, he's not, he doesn't come at us angry and strong, he comes at us in a nurturing way, he's tender, he doesn't say, oh man, you've got junk and stuff again you're bringing to me, will it never end? He doesn't say that to us, he says, just bring your stuff to me, your worries, you know, your stress, your anxiety. Your pain whatever it is just bring it to me leave it with me and know that i tenderly care for you i tenderly care for you tenderly means soft gentle and full of compassion is compassion for you isn't that a beautiful picture to have to go before him with isn't that a beautiful face of god to have He's not up there saying, buck up, baby. Get a hold of yourself. It's going to be okay. He's like compassionate. He says, I want to wrap my arms around you. I want to fill you with my strength. I want to fill you with love. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to bring life into you with the word. Matthew 6 says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He's already working on it already has a plan so those prayers that you've prayed and you think god isn't hearing you the plan is already in place it hasn't come to fruition yet but the plan is already in place that's what his word says and he is honest and truthful he says that he loves you just because you believe in him if you believe he is the son of god that he died for you that he rose again and he's coming back he says i love you just for that He counts every hair on your head. Not one sparrow will fall from a tree without the Father's knowledge. Aren't you worth more to God than many sparrows? That's Matthew 10, 29. He knows every hair on your head. He He can tell you what the number of them is. He says, if I care about a sparrow, how much more do I care about you? He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans that will give you a hope and a future. He knows the stars by name, and he will never, ever forget your name. He knows you by name. He loves to give you the desires of your heart. He loves to give you the desires of our heart. A few years ago, I got really, really sick, and mornings were super hard for me. And My husband, your pastor, started bringing me um, breakfast in bed um, just to help me kind of get started in the day. And he's never stopped doing that all these years later. Every morning, he brings me um, breakfast in bed. He fiercely loves me. Fiercely loves me. It is my most favorite part of the day. It just fills my, my, my day just starts with joy. But God loves me even more than that. He knows every desire that is in my heart. And he says, I know what they are. And it brings me joy to fulfill those desires. That just amazes me because we're talking about holy creator God is in control of the universe. But he cares about what I want, the desires of my heart. That, When I meditate on that, it overwhelms me. Matthew 6 25 says never be worried about your life for all you need will be provided food water clothing everything your body needs and then again with the birds he says how much more valuable are you to me than the sparrow he makes sure that the sparrow has food he creates nature to feed the animals how much more does he care for you to be sure your needs are met he knew you before you were born and had an individual plan for your life says Psalms 139 he has prepared an incredible future for you in 1 Corinthians 2 he put into place a plan to rescue you not because you deserved or earned it but because he loves you see what manner of love the father lavished upon you that we get to be called his sons and daughters you're not just even a name or a person, but you are a son. You, he sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. Lavished means to be given in great amounts without limit. No limit. He wants to lavish his love upon you, and there's no limit to how he wants to do that. You are God's child, so therefore, you are his heir. You are greatly, extravagantly loved, uniquely and wonderfully made. And nothing, the scripture says, can separate you from his love. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you do. It will not separate you and take you away from God's love for you. He showed you by sending his son to die for you. He promises eternal life for you. He shows us through the gifts that he gives you, like wisdom and peace and strength and power and wisdom and grace and forgiveness and protection and provision. That's how he shows his love to you. You may have had an earthly father that did not love you well. And you may often feel like you are alone and that you are forgotten, but your heavenly father has not abandoned you. He is with you always he hears your prayers he will answer them first peter says his heart responds to our prayers wow his heart responds to our prayers